Thanks, Duncan. Good morning, everyone. So today we are going to be um, taking a break from our 1 Peter series, and uh, I'm going to be speaking from the book of John uh, in the New Testament. If you're not so familiar with Scripture, the New Testament is the kind of latter section of the Bible. I always think about it as the second half. It's definitely not half. It's like more like a quarter at the end. Um, it's everything from Jesus' life onwards, and uh, that's where we're going to be today. We're looking at the book of John, written by uh, the guy called John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his disciples. And we're going to pick up in John 14, uh, verse 1, and we're going to read through to verse 6. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to have that open, have that out in front of you so that you can follow along and maybe in part also check that I'm not making it up. Um, But otherwise, the words will be on the screens uh, behind me so you can follow along up there. So let's read John 14, verse 1 through to verse 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there we go. Perhaps one of the most famous answers to a question ever. Certainly a very big answer to give to that question and uh, the aim for today is trying to unpack some of that for us. Like, what does Jesus mean when he says that he is the way? But before we get into delving into some of that and exploring it, I, I want to kind of paint a bit of the picture uh, to, for the point that we kind of join the story um, so that we can feel the moment, that we can get a sense of the, the emotion in the room and the, the dynamic between the disciples and Jesus and what's going through their head and his, because Too often, I think we read the Bible just like a book. We just start, we kind of hope to get to the end eventually. Um, But it's so much more than that. Like, this is life, and there is life in these words. So I want us to get to grips with it and to put ourselves in the story. So come with me on this. You are one of the disciples. Congratulations, you made it. So you're one of the disciples, and the reason why you are one of Jesus' disciples is because a few years ago, you went into work one day, and you handed in your notice, and you quit your job with immediate effect. You didn't consult your spouse, which did not go down well. You didn't consult your friends or your family, all so that you could begin following this guy, Jesus, who actually you didn't really know all that well. But there was something about him, the likes of which you'd never really seen before. The way that he spoke, the way that he held himself, just something about the way that he was seemed almost more real than everything else. He was totally captivating and compelling to you. And you just thought, I've got to. I've got to give my life to this guy. And so you begin to follow him. And you give up everything that you had, give up everything of value to you so that you could spend every day with this guy, Jesus. And, and you literally followed him. You went where he went. You, you ate where he ate. You spent every day with him, learning from him. 
And then all of a sudden, he begins to talk about not being around anymore, which, considering that you have said, I'm going to follow you all my life, is somewhat concerning to you. But at first, you just kind of brush it off. Because you've heard Jesus speak enough times to know that sometimes when he's teaching and explaining things, what he's saying is so multi-layered that most of it just goes right over your head. So you're like, this is probably one of those times again. And you kind of give it the benefit of the doubt. You think, well, he's obviously not actually going to go. There must be some sort of deeper meaning behind this. But then it kind of keeps just coming up. And it's a bit awkward because all of you are there and you're like, we've given up a lot to be with you but you're talking about not being with us. What's going on here? So that goes on for a while, and then one day, you are all having dinner together. You, the disciples, and Jesus. And uh, that, this is just before where we got to in our reading today. You're sat around the dinner table, and you have your meal. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the meal, Jesus gets down, comes over to you. You've barely even had your last mouthful, and he goes to start washing your feet. Now, I don't know what your kind of household etiquette is, but in the Barton home, when I am finishing my dinner, the last thing I want is for my guests to come round and start washing my feet. And probably I wouldn't invite you back if you were to do that. So don't adopt it when you come around my house. But for them, it wouldn't have been so weird because in this culture, because of the environment, the shoes that they were wearing, their feet would have been dirty a lot of the time. So having your feet washed or washing your feet was a common occurrence. But what was strange about this moment was that it was Jesus doing it for you. In your eyes, Jesus is the master, so this seems wrong to you. And as soon as he starts, you kind of make eyes with the other disciples, and you're like, what's he doing? Should I stop him? No, okay. Eventually, he explains why he's doing it. It's to, to teach them, to teach you, to serve one another, to love one another. But it's still very strange. And just another thing on the list of bizarre occurrences that have been happening recently. And then, at the end of that, he tells you all, while everyone's in the room, that one of you is going to betray him. One of you is going to turn on him. And at this point, the, the tone in the room, the mood of the room totally changes. What was before just a little confusing, perhaps, now seems somewhat alarming. You think, who, who would do this? You begin to kind of question all of your motives for everything you've done so far. Like, like I'm not going to, but, but who would? Who would be that person to betray him? And the color begins to drain from your face, and you feel in the pit of your stomach the nerves and the anxiety of, what on earth is he talking about? And then the real kicker comes when he says that where he's going, you cannot come to. He's going somewhere where you cannot follow him. You just think, what is happening? What, what is he saying? And Peter, of course it's Peter. Peter's always been the plucky one in the group. He's always been a bit bolder than the rest of you. And so... Peter pipes up and says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And kind of, you're all in agreement to some extent with that. You think, yeah, like, why can't I? Like, I've given everything for you so far. 
And then Jesus says to Peter, before the rooster crows, you are going to deny me three times. And nobody knows what's going on. You just think, of all people, like Peter, what, what is he saying? There's so much anxiety in your stomach. There's so many unknowns going on that you just can't get your head around it. And then we come to our verses. That's where we join the story. These guys have given years of their life, literally given up everything that they had to follow Jesus, to be with him, to learn from him. And all of a sudden, he's now saying that he's going somewhere where you can't go with him. And that someone's going to turn against him. And that Peter's going to deny him. You just have no idea what is going on. It feels like everything is being taken from them, like the rug from beneath their feet. The fears and the doubts of, of week one, six days in, they were lying awake at night thinking, have I made a terrible decision? Like, what if this guy isn't who I think he is? What if he's not who he says he is? All of those fears and doubts come flooding back to you, and you're scared. All of the disciples are sat there in that room thinking, what is about to happen? And as we read our verses at the beginning, Jesus knows this. He reads the room perfectly. And he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He says, trust me. Trust me. Do, do not worry. Don't be afraid. Please just trust me. I promise you. It'll be okay. He even goes on to explain why he needs to go. To prepare a place for them in the Father's house. It's essentially to, to open up a place for them in heaven. That one day they can be with him. That's why he needs to go. And then he just confuses them all again when he says... And you know the way to where I'm going. At which point, I can imagine, if, if I were one of the disciples, my reaction would basically just be, nope. I promise you I don't. Like, I don't know where you are going. I don't understand this. And I imagine they were having something of that thought altogether. Jesus like, you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't. Like, straight up, we don't know where you're going. Please help us. And then Thomas, he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. <laughs> How can we know the way? And you can, you can hear the frustration and the desperation in his voice. You can sense it. <laughs> like, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. I, I promise you, we don't know. How can we possibly know the way? How, that doesn't make sense to us. Please help us to understand. But they are so bound by the fear of the future, so held by the, the anxiety of the unknown, of what's to come, so caught up in the kind of earthly mindset of wanting to map out the process, step by step, was a very legitimate question, I think. 
We do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? But it's such an earthly question. All of those things mean that they miss the answer that is right in front of them. They fail to grasp that the answer to their question is literally stood in front of them. Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's me. I'm it. I am the way. You know me. One of the commentators, Carson, says that what Thomas is seeking in his question is an unambiguous destination. Yes, he wants something that that isn't open to interpretation, something that he can touch or or see, or or at the very least that he can visualize and, and kind of quantify in his mind, a way that he can, as I said, kind of map out the steps that he needs to take to get to where he needs to go. It's like, Thomas, mate, you can't get much more unambiguous than the guy stood two feet in front of you. If only he had eyes to see. Because he misses it. Misses it entirely. He's almost looking round Jesus, trying to work out what's over there, what's behind. But he just misses the face that's staring him in the eyes. And my question for us today is, are we missing it? Are you looking round Jesus? Trying to work out that thing down the line, the future, the anxiety of that, that you just miss him entirely. You miss the person of Jesus. He was so caught up by the fear of the unknown and the fear of the future, so determined to, to get that step-by-step plan in place, to have that map so we know which turn to take and when, that we just miss the guy that's going to get us there. Because Jesus is the way. He was right. He said it himself. You think, okay, fine. I'll give you that. But what is he the way to? What is it that Jesus opens up to us or gives us access to? Well, he says it. He gives us access to God. He allows us to know the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me, says Jesus. He is the only route to the Father. He is the only way for us to attain one of the many rooms in the Father's house of which he speaks. He's the only way to that. And and he's essentially talking about getting you a place in heaven, getting you a place in eternity. That is what he is the way into. You think, great. That sounds good. I give you that. But it sounds good for then. It doesn't, it doesn't speak into my now. What about today? What about the day that I am about to face? What does it do for that? Well, the good news is that Jesus doesn't just secure our far-off destiny. Though, frankly, that would be enough. A place in heaven in the Father's house would be enough for us. But Jesus does more than that. He saves us today. He speaks right into our today, the here and now. He is alive in us and at work and speaking into our lives right now. 
It's about more than just a place in the future. About knowing God then, like when you get there to be with him. Jesus is the answer to every need that we have deep in our souls. He is the only one that will satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. Even the ones that we're not even conscious of a lot of the time, that we don't really fully understand, but we know they're in there. Jesus is the answer to all of those things. I don't know how long you've been in church circles for. I became a Christian when I was 17. That's when I first started following Jesus. So before that, I'd never been in church much. And um, something I've learned since being around church for a number of years is that there's a bit of an in-joke about Sunday school and how Jesus is always the answer to the question. I mean, when I was that age, like, the last thing I wanted to do was go to school again on a Sunday. So I never went. But it seems to me that every time someone asks a question in any given context, there's always some wise guy that like, cracks up and is like, the answer's Jesus. And everyone has a good giggle and is like, elbows nudging. I don't get why it's so funny. It seems like a perfectly good, legitimate answer to me. Jesus is the answer to all our searching. Jesus is the way into everything that God wants for us. I don't get the joke, because it's true. Knowing the person of Jesus is the way to, to true freedom. There's something in your life, a habit, a mindset that you feel bound by day in, day out, and you just think, it's all great that I can get there one day, but this is plaguing my mind today, and I don't know what to do about it. I've tried so many things. Jesus is the way to set you free from that. You want purpose in your life. You want a reason to be. Some, what am I here for? Why do I exist? What am I living for in my life? That was my situation when I was 16. I was like, I don't know what I'm here for. What is the point of all of this? Jesus is the point of all of this. To know him, he will give you purpose and reason to be more than anything else that this world will ever offer. You want happiness? You just think, I don't want a lot in life. I, I just want to be happy. And you begin to list all these things that you think are going to get you there. I want to have kids. That would make me happy. I want that item, that piece of technology. That would certainly be my story. That would make me happy. You think, I, I just want to be happy. Is that so hard? No, not with Jesus. But he will give you more than just happiness that the world offers. He will give you joy that goes beyond this life into eternity forever and ever. A joy that goes deeper than the greatest joy of this life in this age. He will give you life to the full. He will give you hope for the future. He'll give you faith to believe. Jesus is the end to all our searching. He is the way into all of that and more. Wow. Now, that sounds like a lot of stuff that he opens up for us. And it is. To open up eternity, no small feat. So how did he do it? He had to pay a very expensive price to make that possible for you, for me. Just as he said to the disciples, he was going somewhere where they were not supposed to follow. He was going to the cross to be killed, to die, to be crucified simply for who he was. Taking on himself the punishment that, that should have rightfully been ours. 
for everything that we've ever done wrong, everything that we will ever do wrong, for living a life away from God, he took it all on the cross. And he died. And then his body was, was put in a tomb, lifeless, dead, lying on the cold stone for three days in the darkness. But then, with just one intake of breath, Jesus was raised to life again, resurrected, never to die again. So that death itself, the the very last thing that could get in the way of us entering into relationship with the Father, the very last and final enemy that would stop us from knowing everything that I listed earlier would be defeated and conquered once and for all. That's what he did. It cost him a great deal. And that is how he did it. And what that means for us, essentially, is that we have but one step to take. We just kind of take the same one over and over again. So when I was a 17-year-old boy, I had been living my life this way, totally selfish in my own desires, not knowing where I was going, living for my own selfish ambition, living away from God. And then I heard this for the very first time. And all I had to do was, it's barely even a step, it's just a motion. I had to turn from that. The Bible calls it repentance. I had to turn from that, look at Jesus and say, I believe. I trust you. And actually, at that moment, I, I couldn't map out my future if I wanted to. I had no idea where that was going to go. But I just said, I believe. And you know what? We have to do that every day. Every time that we fall into fear of what's to come and we we lose trust in Jesus, whether we know it consciously or not, every time we feel it, we, we simply have to say, Lord, I'm sorry, I turned from that and I trust you. I make a choice to trust you. Doesn't necessarily change what's going to happen in the future. Doesn't necessarily change what's going to come, but you just say, I I trust you. And I I believe that today Jesus wants to say to us, look, come to me. Trust me. Believe in me. Rick and the band, do you want to just come up for a second? You don't need to have it all mapped out. That's why it's called faith. We're not supposed to have the route planned ahead of us necessarily. We just trust him and that our steps will be revealed day by day. If you're afraid of the future, which I think we all are to some degree, there is something in all of us that is unsure about what's to come and it scares us. If you don't know the way, Jesus says, come to me. I am it. I am the way. Know me. Know the person of Jesus. And make that motion every day. Don't get so lost in the method or fears of this life that you miss the man that shows you what life truly is. Know him. And what we're going to do in a second is um, we're just going to sing, I don't know what we're about to sing, like just a verse or something. Um, And I believe that God wants to meet with people today who think they do have a, a map for their life. They know something to which they're called. They think, I think this is where Jesus wants me to go. 
But I think God wants to say and challenge you today that that's all well and good, but are you, are you missing Jesus in the midst of it? Like, do, do you know him or, you, or do you just know where he wants you to go? So we're going to sing briefly and then just going to ask a few people, if, if you feel like that's you, just to come and be prayed for. And just, I guess, to repent of that and just say, actually, yeah, Lord, I, I know that you are the way. It's you that I need, not my mapped out plan for life.